Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Let's turn our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. The passage, we're, we're actually going to be down in verse 17, but if we just skip back up to verse 10 to get the context there, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God." A helmet of salvation, we, we got to this verse right at the end last time and didn't really have much time to, to talk about that helmet of salvation. But, um, you know, each piece of the armor serves a, a different purpose. The breastplate, for instance, protects the, the heart especially and, you know, also some other things. But, but the helmet protects the head, right? The helmet protects the... So, so spiritually speaking, we're talking about the mind. Uh, where that, that breastplate of righteousness can defend against attacks that would come that might affect the, the heart, the emotions, those kinds of things. The helmet of salvation is something that's there to protect the head and protect the mind. And you know that, that the helmet, um, in, you know, whether you're talking about Roman armor here or, or later, you know, later medieval armor and that kind of thing, a helmet was, was actually much more than just a you know, a, a functional thing to protect the head. Uh, oftentimes the helmet would also include some kind of a of an insignia or whatever. When you see those Roman soldiers and they have, for instance, on, on the top of their helmet, uh, some Roman soldiers, you'll see they have, you, they have that, uh, I don't even know what it's called, that kind of sticks up there. Uh, that's, that's a part of their insignia. It's really a part of their identity. Uh, later in, in medieval times, uh, a knight often would have on his helmet uh, some kind of a uh, thing that identified him. So, Because you can't see the face when you have a, a full helmet, especially that covers the face. You can't see the face. You need something to identify that person. And, and so the helmet is, is very much based, even here in Roman times, with that identity and, and you know, rank insignia and those kinds of things. And when it's here talking about salvation, it has a, it has a functional purpose of protecting the head. It also has that, that outward purpose of, of identifying somebody. Um, again, when it talks about taking the helmet of salvation, the, the person it's describing here that it's instructing to take on this armor is already saved. It's, it's not saying to take the helmet of salvation in the sense of, of receiving salvation. But rather, it's talking about wearing your salvation in such a way that it provides a defense for you, you see. And there, there's the idea of knowing some things, having some knowledge of, 
of uh, what your salvation is, what it entails. Uh, Go back, for instance, to Romans chapter 6. Now, Romans chapter 6 is a chapter that is not dealing with how to get eternal life. That's already been settled in the first five chapters of the book of Romans. But chapter 6 is talking about how to live a, a sanctified life. All right? And again, not doing that through your own strength, but doing that through, through what God has provided in Christ. You realize that, that what God has provided in Christ is not just a way of salvation in the eternal sense of, of you know, being able to go to heaven when you die, but he's provided for you uh, a way to live by grace every day. And that's what Romans 6 is describing. And Romans 6 is... Uh, Talking about how to, uh, some, sometimes people have, have talked about the three tenses of salvation. You know, we're justified, and that can be defined as salvation from the penalty of sin. But we're also sanctified, which can be defined as, as being saved from the power of sin. And we will eventually be glorified, which is salvation from the very presence of sin. All right, here in Romans 6, it's talking about sanctification, which would be that salvation from the power of sin. And there's a, there's a very definite pattern that's laid out here in Romans chapter 6. Um, Paul begins with the, the question, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? After, after talking about salvation by grace through faith, and in chapter 5 touching on the issue of eternal security, some people might conclude, well, that means if, if I'm saved completely by grace through faith and I'm eternally secure then maybe I should just go out and sin all I want, and that's going to make God's grace abound, right? And Paul's answer to that is in verse 2, God forbid. He says, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And he begins to remind these Romans about things they ought to know regarding their salvation. He says in verse 3, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. And that verse is not talking about a water baptism. That verse is talking about being baptized into Christ himself, immersed, washed, identified with Christ uh, at the moment of salvation where the Holy Spirit baptizes the believer into the body of Christ. You see, and he reminds them that if you were baptized into Christ, if you were placed into Christ, that means you also participate in his death. You're baptized into his death. Now, without going through you know, this entire passage, he reminds them there of something they should know. In verse 6, he says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. You see, in verse 9, he says, Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. He reminds them of these things they ought to know about their salvation. Realize that your Christian life will not function on the basis of ignorance. Paul over and over again writes to the saints and he says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. And we can't just, just you know, if we're going to live the Christian life, if we're going to, to be involved in this battle, we just can't go on in ignorance. We have to take, spend some time knowing the things of God's word, right? That's a part of taking that helmet of salvation, knowing the things that pertain to the salvation that God's provided to you. And not just knowing that that you have eternal life and knowing that you're going to go to heaven when you die, but knowing that God has made you a new creation in Christ. That God has created in you a new man that's that's, 
created in righteousness and true holiness. That as it says here, that the old man is crucified with Christ, knowing that you're freed from sin. Um, uh, He goes on then. So the the first thing here in Romans 6 is to know. You have to know some things. Um, But it's not enough even just to know some things. Verse 11 says, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, it's one thing to know something and to know it theoretically. It's one thing to be able to see in a verse and and say, okay, I I know that to be true because it's God's word. But to reckon it is to really account it to be so. For instance, here in verse 11, when it says, Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, it's one thing to know that theoretically from God's word and to to know God's word says I'm dead to sin, therefore I'm dead to sin. It's another thing to look in the mirror and see yourself and, and say that person is dead to sin and really reckon it to be true. It's another thing to stand in the face of temptation to sin and say I'm dead to that thing. And if I'm dead to it, then it, it has no power over me. Um, you know, we, we often... We often give sin very much power in our lives, and we think, oh, I can't overcome that temptation. That's not what God's Word says. And to reckon it so, in fact, it's the same, it's the same word. The word reckon is the same word that's translated as impute or account. You know, when you believe the gospel, God accounted you to be righteous. Okay? Now, were you, were you really righteous in the sense, I mean, were, were you really righteous in yourself? No, you weren't. But God accounted it to be so. See, God calls the things that are not as though they were. And so he can look at you and say on the basis of, of, of faith and on the basis of what Christ accomplished, he can say, I'm going to count you as righteous. That's, that's what reckoning is. That's what we have to do with these things of God's word. Not just know them theoretically and be able to recite them and be able to quote the verses, but to believe they're really true of us. To reckon. And so he says, to know, to reckon, and then in, in uh, verse 13, it says, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And so you have to know some things, you have to reckon those things to be true, and then it says to yield to those things. Now, yielding, see, what many people think about the Christian life is they think of it, they, they think of living the Christian life or they think of the Bible much like a, a self-help book where if you'll just put in more effort, if you'll just do more things, things will turn out all right. And that's not what, what the Scripture is. The Scripture doesn't say you need to put in more effort. It says you need to yield. Yield doesn't mean put in more effort. Yield means less effort, right? In fact, in this, in this process, if you know the right things, if you know the truth of God's word, if you reckon it to be so of yourself, then all that's left is just to yield to that and, and let it be true in your life and let it be reflected in your actions. You see, it says don't yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. Don't, don't give way to that sin that's trying to pull you in the one direction. Rather, yield yourselves unto God. You say, so, so that's just an example of some of the things that, would, as far as the, the practical application, how do, you, how do you take the helmet of salvation? It's to take those things that you know to be true of yourself from God's Word, not that you know from experience, because your experience isn't going to tell you that you're freed from sin, 
right? Your, your experience is not going to tell you that you're dead to sin. Your experience is going to tell you that sin has absolute sway over you, right? I mean, that's what you're, at least that's what my experience would tell me. But rather to come in faith to God's Word and say, I'm going to know the things of God's Word and I'm going to reckon that to be true. And if God says I'm freed from sin, I don't care what, what experience tells me, I'm going to believe what God's Word says, you see? And view myself in that way. Now, that's a moment-by-moment struggle, right? I mean, you can, you can be believing and reckoning that and yielding to that one moment, and the very next moment, all of a sudden, your flesh takes over and, and you, start, you start denying those things. But you see how when you take those things you know from God's Word and you wear them as that, that helmet, that helmet of salvation, you see the defense that that provides you against false doctrine, against, against the things that Satan would try to use to take you captive. The Scripture talks about those that Satan takes captive as, at his will. And unfortunately, most, most Christians, and again, I'm not just talking professing Christians, I would say real people who have believed the gospel, are taken captive by Satan at his will. They're not taken captive in the way that they would think, because most people think that what Satan is doing is tr- to try and get them to do bad things, right? You don't need Satan to do that. You have a sin nature that will do that all on its own. You don't need Satan to tempt you to sin. Um, when, when people do that, what they're trying to do is they're trying to externalize their own sin. They're trying to say, it's not me that's sinful, it's this outside force, Satan, acting on me that makes me sin. And that's not true. Satan doesn't, I mean, it, it, there may be certain cases where Satan or, or, you know, these spirits might act on people to, to get them to sin, but the vast majority of sin is just, just that sin nature doing what the sin nature does, okay? You don't need some outside force acting on you to get you to sin. You, you're perfectly capable to do that all on your own, right? Um, but, but when you view yourself here like, like this passage describes as being dead to sin, and, and you wear that as your defense, you see, that protects you from that. And, and much of the way that, that Satan takes people captive is by, not by getting them to sin, but rather by getting them to, to have faith in the good things that they're doing, right? Remember, Satan's ministers transform themselves as ministers of righteousness, okay? Um, so let's go back to our text then. Go back to Ephesians chapter 6. Now, that helmet, like I said, the helmet also was very often associated with the identity of the wearer. And you know that when, when you wear your salvation in such a way um, that, that it is your identity, that it's not just how you think of yourself, but it's what you show to other people, that provides a great defense for you as well. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, preaching about separation from the world. And the believer ought to be separate from the world. Okay, now Paul's clear. It doesn't mean you go out of the world. You don't, you don't cloister yourself away from the world. But you do need in your life to maintain a separation from the world. But again, oftentimes people go about that in the wrong way. People go about that as, again, something they're going to do. You know that if, if your eternal life and the things that, that the Bible says are true of you if, you, if those are the things that other people see in you and that the world sees in you, you won't have any trouble separating from the world. They'll separate from you, 
right? If, if you have a passion and a zeal for the things of God's Word so that as you talk to people, that comes out in, in the things that you say and, and that kind of thing. If you have a, you know, a, a, a hatred for sin first in yourself, and, and, you know, then just sin in general, and that comes out in what you say, again, you won't have to worry about separating from the world. It won't be some hard thing you have to do. They'll do it for you. And they'll do that if, if that's your identity. Now, too often, what we're trying to do is we're trying to hide our identity in Christ so we'll kind of fit in with the world. We don't, we don't want to turn them off or whatever. And, and too often what people try to do, even with the gospel is they're trying to kind of like, like lure the world to the gospel, right? To, to sort of trick them into, into uh, coming to some event or whatever so that then they'll hear the gospel. And of course, the problem with that is often what's, what's preached in those kinds of efforts it winds up not being the gospel at all because people are so worried about turning somebody off. My, my point is what people are trying to do is they're trying to hide, in, in a way, hide the gospel. And it's true that, that the world is not always, they're not going to recognize the gospel for being good news, okay, by and large. Now, some people will, and some people will receive that eternal life upon hearing the gospel, right? But you don't need to hide the gospel or somehow trick people into it. And, and again, I mean, the, the fact that this man would, would apologize, go on and on apologizing for the gospel, tells you that really that was what was his, in his mind. We're tricking these people into this, and I have to apologize to them because, for actually telling them this truth, right? And as, as believers, we ought, we ought not mistreat the gospel in that way. Um, it ought to be something that just, just exudes from us. As good news, not as bad news, not as something to apologize for, but as something to be bold and confident about, um, knowing that this is what people need to hear. People need to hear. I mean, the doctor, the doctor isn't going to apologize for telling somebody that he has a cure for their disease, right? And that's what the gospel is. And if we'll wear that salvation as our insignia, as the thing that identifies who we are, that that's something that is a great protection to us, that helmet of salvation. Now, verse 17, then it says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, this is the only offensive weapon that's been listed so far, right? Everything's been defensive. Um, You might be able to, actually, the the Roman shield was sometimes used as an offensive weapon in close combat, but mostly as a defensive weapon. Okay, and this is really the only the only offensive weapon that's given. Now, remember that the battle is not a flesh and blood battle. It's not a battle that you can fight with a, a literal physical sword. It's not a battle that you can fight with a gun. It's not a battle that you can fight with tanks and bombs and, and airplanes and those kinds of things. It's a spiritual battle, and so the sword is a spiritual sword. It's called the sword of the Spirit. And it says to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That, that book, the Bible, that book is more than a book. You see, it's a, it's a weapon. Go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. 
Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now, it says that the word of God is quick. And that does not mean fast. It means alive. Right? This, when you come to the Word of God, you're not talking about dead words on a page. When you read, when you read something like Shakespeare or um, you know some other some other uh, book like that, you're you're reading dead words on a page. Um, if it's old enough, you're reading dead words on a page by dead men. But when you come to the Word of God, it's not a it's not dead words on a page. It's quick. It's alive. All right? It says it's, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Um, and it says that the Word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the hearts. Now, to discern something means to understand something. And you realize that when you come to the Word of God, it's been said that when you read the Bible, it reads you. And if you've heard people say what they mean by that is very often when you come to the Word of God, it, it will deal with the issues of your heart, right? It'll, it'll bring you under conviction in some cases. It will uh, often in many cases bring encouragement and, and that kind of thing. But it is a discerner. It says of the Scripture that it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's a living book. Uh, it's, it's no accident, by the way, that the Bible is called the Word of God. Jesus Christ is also called the Word. Right Now, when it's talking about Jesus Christ, it's the Word with a capital W. And the, the reason that both of them can be called the Word of God, it, it's not that the Bible... I mean, you understand, the Bible isn't alive in a physical sense. It's not, it's not something like that. It's not a, a person or, or, or anything like that. But... The, the Bible, it says in another place here in the book of Hebrews, that it, it quotes Christ as saying, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. And all of the Bible is about Christ. From Genesis to Revelation, you're reading about Christ. When you're in the Old Testament, you see Christ in type and shadow and, and prophecy. Uh, in the Gospels, you see those records, those divinely inspired records of the life of Christ. When you're in the epistles, you're seeing what was accomplished by Christ. And the book is about Him. And the book is so closely connected with Him that they're both called by the same name. Jesus Christ is the Word and the Bible is the Word. In fact, even here in this passage uh, in Hebrews 4, I want you to notice, it says at the, at the end of verse 12, when it says, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's talking about the Word of God. Verse 13, when it says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in His sight. Now, who's it talking about there? When it says, in His sight. The context actually would still be the Word of God. Of course, you know it's talking there about the Lord Himself. That, that all things are naked and opened under the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. The Scripture says that God will judge the secrets of men's hearts according to, to Paul's gospel. Um, and, and so God knows the secrets of the heart. God has imparted to his word that ability as well. Now again, it's not that the word itself, the, the scripture itself is some conscious living thing, but because it's the word of God and because it is the sword of the spirit, you see, it, it has that ability. 
And so when you come to the Word of God and it's dealing with the matters of your heart and it, it brings you under conviction or whatever, don't, don't turn away from that. Realize you're dealing with God Himself. And when you come to God's Word, don't, don't treat it flippantly. Don't treat it, uh, just, you know, just take it for granted and, and treat it as some mundane thing. You are reading the words of God Himself. You ever think about how, how important that is and how... Um, just how gracious that is of God. He had no obligation to give us His Word. I mean, He had no obligation. He had no obligation even to provide salvation for man. But He certainly didn't have any obligation to, to give us His completed Word, and yet He has. And He inspired it, and He preserved it for us so that we can come to that book and know that it is the Word of God and, and realize that it's God Himself speaking to us in that book. Um, you know, again, when you consider who who we are by nature, the fact that God would even, would even give that word uh, is really an amazing thing. And you see how it describes it in, here in Hebrews and back in Ephesians as a sword. That is your weapon in the battle. All right? now, now you can take all the other armor and, have, and be defended and have defense against the, the attack of the enemy, but you can't win the battle without, without fighting back. Right? I mean, it, you can be, you can be uh, as protected as you want to be, and, and maybe the enemy can't touch you, but you aren't going to win the battle. Right? You aren't going to win the battle just on defense. And so, so God gives his word as a sword to the believer. Now, it's called the sword of the Spirit. And you realize that the, the Holy Spirit, a lot people attribute all kinds of things to the Holy Spirit today. Uh, some people believe, you know, the preacher puts his hand on your head and you fall down on the floor and that's the Holy Spirit doing that. And they believe all kinds of things in the name of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not work today apart from the Word of God. That's how the Holy Spirit works. And when you're reading the Word of God, that's the Holy Spirit working through that Word. Uh, when you're in a situation and, and Scripture comes to mind, the Holy Spirit is working through that Scripture. And the Holy Spirit is not working apart from the scripture. And if you're going to have a part in what's, what God's doing, if you're going to be a part of the battle, you have to fight that battle with scripture. Sometimes the best thing that you can say to a person, whether it's somebody who's looking for advice or whether it's somebody who, you know, whatever, uh, the best thing you can do is quote scripture to them. Now you got to be careful that you're quoting the right scripture, that, that, you know, you're, you're rightly dividing the word of God, that you're not, um, misapplying passages and and there's a lot of that that goes on things taken completely out of context that may bring some momentary encouragement to somebody or something but wasn't really what they needed to hear you got to be careful about that you realize that the scripture in being like a sword uh, a soldier doesn't pick up that sword the first time or in modern terms a, a a soldier doesn't pick up that rifle the first time and be completely proficient at it it takes effort it takes training it takes work into into honing your skills right and the word of god requires that same thing um uh, you know something something that uh, i would encourage you to do in your own bible study is think about think about objections that that unbelievers come up with to various things in the word of god and think about how would i answer that from god's word you know Come up with those hypothetical situations in your mind. That's what you do when you train with a weapon, right? You put yourself in a situation that would be similar to a battle situation, and 
you learn how to respond correctly. And that's what you've got to do with the Word of God if, if you're going to have that, that answer. You can have the most logical, reasoned argument in the world, but realize logic and reason are not your, your weapon for the battle. Okay? It's the Word of God that has the power in it. Right? We, we have, God has given to man certain, certain abilities for logic and reason and, and those kinds of things. And you can make convincing arguments and, and that kind of thing. But if you want to have power, let the power come from the Word of God. And, you know, and I've, and I've seen times in, in sharing the gospel with people where, you know, every attempt to make some kind of reasonable argument failed. But when you just brought scripture to them, it was a lot harder for somebody to argue with that. So that's where the power is. Um, when the, when the uh, scripture says that the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, that's not the power in your polished argument and polished presentation of the gospel. That's power in the word of God. And again, the best thing you can do in fighting that battle is, first of all, train yourself to know what scripture applies to what situations, and then to use that scripture and just, and just quote the scripture and let it do its work. Remember, it's quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.